This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, Silver Lake, somewhere else in Los Angeles. It was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, to create a treatment center designed to help alcoholics and addicts through means of compassion and connection rather than control, which is great. They care about their clients. I've had friends who are their clients, and they can attest to that. They make sure that a detox is as comfortable as possible, which is not an easy thing, but as comfortable as possible is great. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, including sound bath meditation, which I'm dying to try, equine therapy, which I would be interested in trying, sweat lodge in California, which sounds awesome, surfing, which I'm kind of tentative about trying, but I would do it, and so many other things. It's an amazing place to go. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I totally suggest going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Sober Buddy. We want to talk about Sober Buddy because it's super available to you if you need some help with your sobriety. It's the little blue fluffy guy you may have seen in sober memes on Instagram or Facebook. You can either use their free service called Sober Buddy Mail, which is a free daily email with bite-sized sober challenges plus motivations and tips that are super helpful, or you can download the Your Sober Buddy app, which is an interactive version that shifts your challenges and motivations based on how you respond to it. The app also has a sober tracker that's down to the second and daily check-ins from Buddy where he asks you how you're feeling and if you're sober and then gives you advice based on your mood. Right now, Sober Buddy has over 30,000 people using their services to get sober, and I know we've had a bunch of people in the Dopey Nation who use it and really love it. If you're interested... Check out Your Sober Buddy at YourSoberBuddy.com, and you can see all of their services there. It is nice to have these free and very inexpensive resources out there for everyone now. It's been a long time coming. Again, that's YourSoberBuddy.com. Please check them out. I would do the free thing first and see how you like it. It's uh, Sober Buddy Mail, and then check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com. You can't get enough help with this stuff. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Soberlink. Soberlink knows that somebody cares about your recovery. Unfortunately, relapse is so common, especially when it comes to alcohol, because it is widely available and highly prevalent in many social settings. This is why having true accountability and a deterrent from drinking is so important for staying sober. Soberlink has been empowering and helping people with alcohol use disorder since 2011 and is trusted by hundreds of treatment facilities. The Soberlink system consists of a portable, handheld device that documents proof of sobriety in real time, keeping you connected to your family, friends, sponsor, treatment professional, recovery coach, or anyone else who worries about your well-being. As an exclusive offer to our listeners, you email info at soberlink.com and mention Dopey for 50 bucks off your device. Do it now for that someone who cares. Let Soberlink help you stay off the sauce. And most importantly, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation through the power of Dopey Patreon. I make a lot of jokes and I talk big about Dopey Patreon, but I put a ton of work into it. 
and I love making it. And if you go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast, there is a ton of stuff there, and there will only be more, you know? Music and videos, and uh, me and Linda did a panel that's on there. The Last Jewish Waiter Sizzle Rail is on there. There's a ton of stuff on there, and there will only be more. Uh, the more you guys help out and contribute to Dopey Patreon, the more dopey there can be. And I would like to see more dopey in the universe. So www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Please help out, kick down, and make the dream of dopey better for everyone. And also, we have gear at dopeypodcast.com. Our good friends, SRO Prince, makes it happen. We have really, really cool tank tops, T-shirts, long sleeves, hoodies, and we have a crazy sale happening on the uh, graffiti shirt, 20% off, fucking good so bad, 20% off, the just the head, old colorways, everything must go. Our prices are insane. I also have uh, dopey snapbacks, Oyve snapbacks, Venmo me, I've got new stickers coming in the mail, Venmo me at... uh, you know, dopey podcast Venmo. Anyway, enough with the fucking ads. Here is the show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and other dumb shit. And this week, the other dumb shit is Katz's Deli. And uh, this is the dopey Katz's Deli spectacular. And I never thought we would have an episode like this. Uh, When Chris and I started the show, I think for years I made sure that the word Katz's was never on dopey. If the word Katz's ever got on dopey, we bleeped it. I think the first time we ever mentioned that Katz's was where I worked was when Mark Marin came on Dopey and he did like a whole Katz's bit on his show and then we talked about Katz's in the beginning of his interview so it was too late to keep hiding it but we had hid Katz's from Dopey because it was part of our whole anonymity thing but since then we've embraced it and I wanted to share a bit of Katz's with you guys um the other thing about Dopey in the first place was to create Uh, a good time for me and Chris. But as soon as I heard it, I realized that it was a, it was a possibility to make a podcast that kept addicts company. And it made me realize how much Katz's has kept me company. It also made me realize what a role Katz's has been. I mean, I've worked at Katz's for the past 12 years, um, maybe 13. I worked at Katz's when I was in high school When I was in high school for the summers, I would work at Katz's. I would work as a kid on the hot dogs and I would serve hot dogs or I would work at the French fries and I'd fill up paper bags full of the greatest French fries in the world or I'd work on the back counter uh, where I would serve cold cuts, machine sliced meats. Uh, On the back counter of Katz's, I learned how to use the meat slicer And I slipped one day and I filleted my finger and it's still scarred. And I had like five or six weeks of that summer on workman's comp, which was awesome. The other really significant thing about Katz's was the first summer that I worked at Katz's, I was in a band called The Percolators and I had just started smoking weed. 
and Katz's would pay me in cash every day. And there was a weed spot. There were probably a million weed spots in the East Village. But there was one specific weed spot. It was like my first favorite weed spot. It was on like, I want to say 4th Street or 3rd Street. But if you know where the old Hells Angels headquarters was, it was across the street from there. It was this little Jamaican spot that sold incense. And every day I would get my money from Katz's. Uh, which wasn't a lot, and I would go spend it all at the weed spot. And I had this little shitty bike, this kind of low rider, but not a cool low rider bike, like a shitty fucking bike. And I had a a Walkman that played tapes. And every day I listened to Bob Marley, Natty Dread on one side, and the other side, Bob Marley Uprising. And I would just pedal stoned through the city from Katz's back to my dad's house, listening to, like, those songs on Natty Dread. Um, It still makes me feel just incredible to think about that. And I would, my parents would be away, and I would get back to my parents' house in the summertime, and I would smoke weed with my friends, and we'd play, like, Sega Genesis. Uh, We'd play, like, Sonic the Hedgehog, or we'd play uh, NBA Jams, or, or Double Dribble on old Nintendo. Like, it was, it was old times. And right now there's like a thunderstorm moving in, which also reminds me of those days. We would play cards in the kitchen and listen to Bob Marley and smoke. And, uh, and Katz's was just this huge piece of my life. It taught me, it was a, a total entree to old New York. Like back then there were still Jewish people who worked there and they were like rude to the customers and they talked shit. And it really like, it made me feel real to work at Katz's. It gave me this edge to me to work at Katz's, and it was awesome. I don't know if we ever told this story on the show, but back then, before then, I had gotten a job at Katz's with my, with my high school friends, Dave and Jim, and we, uh, we decided we wanted to create a delivery service at Katz's. It was before there was restaurant delivery from Katz's, and we said we were going to take... Uh, Katz's flyers to corporate buildings to get them to order lunches, which is ironic because that's now my career that I do that. But I was 17 and we would take these flyers to corporate buildings, only we would never take them to the corporate offices. Instead, we would just take them back to my house and we'd get stoned and play video games or my parents' house and we'd get stoned and play video games. But they wouldn't pay us. They were only going to pay us based on um, the business we brought in. But we didn't bring in business. So the deal we made uh, was when we would get there, they'd give us sandwiches. And that would be our pay until we made them money. And, uh, and there was an old Jewish meat cutter. And he's like, what do you guys want? And I was like, I need a pastrami on rye with mustard. And my friend Dave was like, pastrami on rye with, with mustard. And then Jimmy's like, I'd like a turkey sandwich on white bread with mayonnaise and lettuce, tomato. And the guy's like, get the fuck out of here. And, like, we just laughed because uh, it was the first time being really exposed to old New York. And uh, it left a mark on me. And the other thing was that Katz's was owned by my cousin. I've never revealed this. My father's second cousin is this guy named Fred. He bought Katz's with his brother-in-law in the 80s. And, uh, and that's how I got to work there. And uh, when I was coming off of drugs uh, and I came... You know, when I was living in L.A., I found out my mom had leukemia, and we moved, me and my ex-girlfriend moved to Vermont, 
and I was miserable and in a prolonged kicking of uh, heroin and methadone and, and benzos. I was in bad shape for that summer, and I didn't want to come back to New York because I thought it would be too much pressure. But after I lived in Burlington for a few months, I realized I had to go. Um, so I called my mom, and I said, what do you think about me moving home? And she said, you're not going to move home unless you get a job. And I said, well, what do you think Freddie would give me a job at Katz's? And she's like, I don't know. You should call him. So I called him, and um, he was like, sure, come in. And my mom didn't let me move in with her. I wound up moving in with Jim's mother instead because, like, my mom didn't want to deal with me in our, in our little apartment. And that was probably for the best. And, uh, and that was 12 years ago, and I started working on the back counter with this Jamaican guy named Gus. Uh, I worked the shift uh, on the weekends from 3 p.m. to 3 a.m., and during the week from 3 to 11. And, uh, and I, I hated it, you know what I mean? I fucking hated it. I hated, I hated everything about it. And I never held on to a job. You know, I, I rarely held on to jobs. I tried to hold on to a video production job, but obviously my drug addiction got in the way. But every other little job I held on to for such a short time that I didn't think I was going to stay at Katz's. And, and it's one of my favorite recollections is I was with this Jamaican guy named Gus, and uh, it was starting to get busy. It was like in the fall. And I was like, dude, it's so fucking busy. And he's like, boy, you think it's busy now? You should see it in December at Christmas. And I was like, there's no fucking way I'll ever be here at Christmas time. And now it's fucking 13 years later. So Cats is in Dopey obviously has been a long time thing. Cats is being twice as long as Dopey. And um, so I wanted to, to show you guys the interior, the belly of the beast. So... I, I talked to a bunch of people at Katz's about Katz's, about why it's special, about how long they've been there, uh, and a little bit about me and Dopey and, and the shit that I went through. Because also, I basically bottomed out at Katz's and got sober at Katz's. And Katz's is a huge part of my recovery. So this guy, I, I, the first guy I talked to is named Ed. And he started there as the doorman on the tickets, and now he's one of the managers. So check it out. Here's Ed. All right, I'm standing here outside of the world's most famous delicatessen, obviously Katz's, with my good friend and Katz's manager, Ed. Welcome to Dopey. What's going on, Dave? So how long have you been here? Uh, going on eight years now. I can't believe you've been here for eight years. That doesn't seem possible. Eight long years, yeah, dealing with you. It was great. I think it's the time of our life. <laughs> Ed, Ed used to be a Knicks fan, and now he's a Nets fan. So how does that feel? Uh, I'm feeling great right now, being that the Knicks did not make round two. So it's going to be Brooklyn from here on out. Sorry, guys. These hoes ain't loyal. <laughs> um, so what do you think is so special about Cats is from an outsider perspective, but more importantly, from an insider perspective? Uh, from an outsider perspective? Oh, shit, Katie. Yeah, Katie's here today. Uh, from an outsider's perspective, uh, I never had pastrami before. I worked in Katz. Um, it's definitely a different experience from any other deli. You know, we have our system is different. Our food is different in a sense of just a lot better quality. We're not giving you this uh, machine sliced frozen food. You know, everything is hot, fresh, hand sliced by a cutter. And you get a little bit of nostalgia when you actually get to walk into Katz. You feel like you're kind of 
go back into time a little bit. So that's one of my favorite parts. And the and the and the customers seem to love that part. Oh, the customers are one of my favorite parts. When you see somebody come from either out of the state or out of the country and just excited to be inside. It gets you excited and you want to give the customer the best experience you can. And and a lot of the times they really walk out and are very, very happy about the, not just the food, just the experience they had while they were inside. All right, we don't want this whole thing to be a fucking Katz's commercial, man. Of course not. A dopey nation. How's old dopey nation going out there? You know, they're, they're doing okay. But more importantly, I want to know from an insider perspective, okay. in all honesty, there's good days, there's bad days, but you can't deny it's it's one-of-a-kind specialness of working here. What do you think makes it special to, to work here? Uh, For me... To be a CATS employee is a pretty, it's a pretty cool thing once you get to know, first of all, everybody in here is like family. So once you get in here and you get to know everybody, it's, it's, it becomes your second home. If you've worked in CATS Delhi, you understand what I mean. Uh, you become, you come in as a stranger and you immediately become family. As long as you don't rub any people the wrong way. But you know that the real rule of cats is, is the day you feel the most safe, the next day is when the shit drops. It's the most dangerous <laughs> feeling you can have. But, you know, working here, it, it's, it's different. I've had a few jobs and jobs that I've liked, jobs that I didn't like. And this year has already become my second home in the eight years that I've been here. It's not easy. You have to deal with a lot, you know. A lot of bullshit. A lot of bullshit. Did you hear Ezra died? I didn't. Jake told me Ezra died. This this episode is dedicated to Ezra. Oh my God! It's one of my favorite guys. I did not know that. I don't know if it's true. I hope it's not. He's a good guy, but along with being in Cats, uh, Dave, as all of the Dopey Nation knows, uh, I met Dave here probably early in my first year. And Dave has never stopped working. Let me just let you guys know that. He puts a lot of effort into this Dopey Nation stuff. I watch it grow from the bottom. Could you believe it? No, like I I always knew you were determined because you put the work in that you have to do. But as as good and as big as, as it's gotten, I'm very excited for you. Well, I always, I always wanted Ed to be my man in the street in the hood. No, look, I, I'm still here. Um, I just, I'm so, when I'm in cats, it's kind of hard to... You told some crack smoking story on Dopey one time. I did. The, the, the I driving, did. Uh, the crack, the crack oh, head story. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if that's still on there somewhere. It's, it's in there. But yeah, I, I grew up in a neighborhood where there was a lot of that going on. And um, that's why I was so, when I heard you doing the show... And the way you do the show is not just having a show about people dealing with addiction. Or, it's the way you deal with it or the way people deal with it on your show. It's amazing. Like, I, you're, you, you know, you're doing a lot of other things now, so you're not in the store. I have people come in and ask. Nice. For Dave and leave gifts, especially socks. They always leave socks. I love that. They always leave it's socks like a, it's for like Dave. Nick socks. Dave loves socks, guys, just so you know that. But it's cool. it's cool to know that you actually, you've touched a lot of people, man. And I think that's more important than the views, than anything else that comes with it, that people really attach to the show. And it helps a lot of people. Well, I can't wait till we get Sinatra in the street again. Oh, we, we will definitely get this segment in, guys. <laughs> and uh, Dave, congratulations to you and everybody in the Dopey Nation who supports Dave. He really puts everything into this show 
And I really hope it gets people get through their day every day. I love that. Thank you, man. You're welcome. Dopey Nation, stay strong, man. That's the spirit. So that was Ed Sinatra, ex-ticket guy, ex-doorman, current manager. And when I met Ed, he was doing a little radio show or maybe even a little TV show. And, um, and my vision was to do a dopey segment with him out in Brooklyn called Sinatra in the Street where he talks to uh, maybe current or ex-drug dealers about some of their craziest experiences. And Ed never did the segment, but maybe one day he will. And um, Ed was very positive about Katz's, which I appreciate. However, I don't like the idea of the dopey Katz's Deli special or the Katz's Deli Dopey special to be like a commercial for Katz's. So bear with me if you feel like it's too positive. I always love, I love to hate everything. You know, I'm a self-deprecator. I, I put myself down all the time, obviously. I put Dopey down all the time, obviously. And I put Katz's down all the time. And uh, while I worked there, while I was a waiter there, I was, uh, one thing about Katz's that, uh, you know, it's probably the most profound thing for me was that when I waited tables at Katz's, it was the, the only job I've ever had where it was very, 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 very equal, the effort and the money. I earned every dollar I made. And if I didn't work hard, I didn't get the money. And it was an amazing lesson in my life. I always made the joke that when I leave Katz's, I'll have said Katz's was the best job I ever had because it was just so amazing. The international aspect of the customers working with with all of these these Dominican people, working with Fanny, who's from Ecuador, and Ishmael, who is from Egypt. It was uh, it was really like it has been. I still work there. It has been an amazing experience for me. And I know that the best guests on Dopey came directly from Katz's or the, the big, the most famous Dopey guests I'll say came directly from Katz's, which of course was Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, I met her on the line as she was leaving buying uh Christopher guest, a fucking Kanish, uh, Bob Forrest. I, I saw him buying French fries and I bum rushed him, uh, to get him on Dopey. And, and now Al is like our biggest sponsor. Fucking Mark Marin was on the corner when I was out there vaping, depressed that Dopey was over. So these people uh, obviously added to uh, the Dopey success, and it's all because of uh, what kind of a place Katz's is. And um, I, I'm obviously very grateful to work there, and I owe Katz's a lot. And, and that brings us to our next guest, who is the current owner of Katz's. And I met him, I, I want to say, like 11 years ago. And his father and my cousin were the owners, and Jake came in to check it out. And uh, I don't want to ruin any of his story, but I was very surprised that Jake wanted to come on Dopey. And uh, I think it was awesome. I'm, you know, I'm forever in his debt. He's my boss, so it's weird to have your boss on the show. Uh, but here he is. Here's Jake Dell. I am sitting in a secret location on Houston Street. Actually, I'm sitting in Katz's Deli in the new secret back room with my employer, Jake Dell. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Pretty weird, right? It's super weird. Especially I, in this room, it's super weird. You know, I recorded in this room with Alex before it was a room. When it was all fucked up. When it was and a bathroom. Gray. 
No, when it was a yeah, me and Alex were in the bathroom <laughs> doing the show. No, when it was really gray and and cinder blocky. So this is the second dopey segment recorded in here. Cool. Now we could record one when there's a full party in here, and then you can't hear any of the conversation. I think it's pretty cool that uh, there's a restaurant raging outside, and we're in here, and it sounds like pretty good. Yeah, I mean, maybe when we play it back, it doesn't sound... No, I listen to it. It sounds good. Um, So, obviously, you've been privy to... We've known each other for a long time. You know what I figured out? More than 10 years at this point. Yeah, I think we've known each other for 12 years. And and, uh, one thing I never talk about on the show, and and I don't know why, is uh, my actual relationship to Katz's. Like, I don't think I've ever talked about it on the show, or maybe I have once or twice because I don't want to be totally uh, omitting it, but my father's second cousin's wife is Jake's aunt, which makes my father's second cousin Jake's uncle, which is what, in reality, we never say this, is that we're cousins. I I like to not say that as much (laughs) as humanly possible. No, I, I don't actually know what that makes us. I feel like there's a, it's a couple by marriage. Someone told me. Someone and... told me. It was, I never, I never, I, that's why I always thought we weren't, because you always say that. I don't know what that makes us. <laughs> <laughs> but cousins by marriage is what it makes us. And you came into Katz's, a, a young man at 22, 23, yeah. just graduated Tufts, pie in the sky, dreams of medical school in your eyes. <laughs> and I worked for your father and your uncle. On the back counter, a mess. Uh, do you remember coming in and, and, and dealing with me? You were either half and half or slowly transitioning over to waiter service at that point. Yes. You, were, so you still had some BC days, I feel like, and then mostly waiter. I don't remember. Something like that. But yes, I definitely remember <laughs> you being a mess. <laughs> and, and you came in, and it was, you know, now Jake owns this restaurant, this New York City institution. But then you were possibly going to become a doctor. Yeah, I, I up in, for that whole year, actually, I thought I was going to be a doctor. And then, I don't know if you remember, like, I wasn't here full time. I was sort of, I would do half days, and then I would go to the library afterwards. I remember that. And then I would study till 8 or 9 o'clock at night and study for the MCATs. And fill out applications and and do all that. Yeah, it was a lot. It was freaking exhausting in retrospect. (laughs) It's weird. What I really remember, and and I don't know what this means, if it meant anything to you. And you probably had your whole plan. First of all, Katz's is all Dominican people. Basically, a few, a few, I'm letting the, the Dopey Nation knows a lot about Katz's because Katz's is a major character on Dopey. Willie has, has been on a little bit. Uh, You've had William? Just in terms of his voice. God help your listeners. Jose, big Jose, he cut me on, a, on an event and then said I cut myself. That was a big thing. <laughs> Toast, it's been mentioned many times. Um, and Chris used to come in here right. when, when I was working. But in the early days of uh, you in medical school and me working, I was still using, and I remember they were like, you were starting to learn different parts of the store and you were doing waiter service at the same time a yes, little bit. Yeah. And I remember one day we sat down in the back of the store and I was like, you know, you could be one of a million doctors or you could own the greatest deli in the history of the world. I actually remember that conversation. You do? I do. It yeah. was profound, right? It was, it was a pretty deep, we had a couple of pretty 
deep conversations there. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I actively was not, I, I would say it was like 10% of me would, was considering coming into the business, but 90% of me was really sold on being a doctor. And I think over the course of that year, you know, partially through these, those types of conversations, but like more broadly, you know, everything else, it's like, all right, 10% became like 15, became 20, became 25. And then eventually by the end of the year, when it was time to do those interviews, you know, I, I had already submitted my applications I, and I was up to the interview stage and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to go to these interviews. I, I don't want to do it. I, I want to be in the store. I want to be a part of this. And yeah, I really, you could be one-on-one. You could be one of a, of an institution, you know, and, and something special and something that I don't know what the history or the future would be without me doing it. That's really, what I want to know is like, because I'm actually curious about it. It's like, had you become a doctor, then what happens? It's a great question. I mean, I don't know, you know, might they have sold it? Um, probably. I mean, they're in their 70s now and they're retired now, right? So they're enjoying themselves. How long do you want the headache of running a business um, before you just say, like, fuck it, I'm going to More importantly, though, as you're working that year and you're learning the place, what... Because, I mean, my thing about cats is, right, I, I always say this. When I get out of this job, it will have been the greatest job that I ever had. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, for me, like, it's a magical fucking place. It's like no other place... Uh, lock stock and barrel from the smell of it to the guys to the customers to the sound of it like you and i are indoctrinated into this shit in the most <laughs> magical fucking way um but like when did your brain click into that do you remember the feeling when did it happen i think there was a like three major things that that happened for me one was actually in college and i saw a kid with a cat's t-shirt on in the lunchroom and and I was, you know, we're up in Boston. I was like, oh, shit, another New Yorker. And I went over to be like, hey, where where are you from? Like, what part of town? It's like, what do you mean? I'm from Kentucky. I was like, how the, wait, what? How the fuck do you know Katz is if you're from Kentucky? Because it just hadn't really dawned on me. What it was. What it was at all. So that was the start of it. Um, and then I think being here and listening to customer stories um, and there's one story in particular that'll always stand out for me, and it was this older woman who was just so sweet, and, and I think I, I've told you this story, the 94-year-old woman who was like, oh, me and my four sisters used to come here, and we'd split a corned beef sandwich, and, and you know, and your heart melts when you hear those kind of stories, and um, yeah, and just moments like that reaffirmed that what I was doing brought people joy, and Sure, there was the intellectual component. There was the, you know, headache component. There was the this. There are all these other components, but there's that still that joy that you bring customers that you can't really accomplish in a lot of other places. Well, it's an undefinable specialness. It is like maximum specialness. You, I mean, you talk to anyone in the world. Well, not anyone. Many, many, many people in faraway places know what this place is, and. Um, did your we dad... had one customer who was like, I wore my cat's shirt on the top of Machu Picchu. And there was another guy wearing a, a cat's shirt. Was, that's like the... Like, what's that's, like, uh, that's like the Louis C.K. awesome possum. Have you ever heard that bit? No. Doesn't matter. It's a stupid... Okay. It's, uh, Louis C.K. has a shirt that says awesome possum. 
and he goes into the post office and he sees another guy wearing the shirt that says Awesome Possum and he points at the guy and he's like, and it, it turns out he's not wearing his Awesome Possum shirt. <laughs> but on Machu Picchu, they both wore... They're both wearing yeah. Katza shirts. It's, 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 it's insanity. You know, there is something magical about this place that is greater than New York um, because it also represents New York to a lot of people, right? When they... It's more important for some people, and I'm not trying to like sound cocky in this situation, but like for some people, it's more important than the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building. You know, this is New York for them, and and that's an amazing, amazing. I think you you sound very cocky. First of all, thanks. I think you sound very fair. I I think you sound very. But I I would say I'm trying to reel it back a little bit and say it in a way that wasn't like a douchebag. Well, what I always say is it's the Empire State Building of the Lower East Side. It's the Taj Mahal that gives out pastrami sandwiches. I think it is that shit, but it's all those things together. Yes. And and I think it. I'm just making fun of you. I think (laughs) I think it is it is those things, especially because people get to eat here or they're grandparents lived in the neighborhood and like that's a huge component to it or they were like students here and they came here when they were 20 years old for the first time and and uh, you know there are special memories and moments that happen the first time they came and so then they come back and they're like oh my god this reminds me of insert you know here did your dad like and Jake's dad was like one of the most class. He still is, but he's <laughs> one of the most classic New Yorkers in the world. He, like, I would wait tables here, and Jake's dad walks around. And also, I knew Jake's grandfather when I was in high school. But Jake's dad walks around, and he talks to all the all the customers, and he has very very like refined shtick. And he says, hey, you came to get your fix. And he does this thing. I started using that one a lot, by the way, lately. I'd be like, fix. Yeah, I'd always, it'd always ring in my ears <laughs> when, when your dad would say that to people. Well, it's, uh, you know, pastrami is a drug. Yes, um, it is. Well, food is a drug, for real. And pastrami is, like, the most, True. They, you know, yeah. perfect, like, savory, salty, fatty, juicy, hot. Like, yeah. but Also you, the visual component. Oh, yeah. You know, people go you know, it's that first bite. It's like everything. People's brains melt when they take that first bite. I think it's about the hot and wet, like the primordial of it. But uh, and the salty and the smoky and the the color you know, and, and the, the and it's everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a perfect sandwich. So when your dad walks around, I always was just in awe of him. But I knew what he was doing more than anything was he was loving the love. He was like a solar panel taking in love from the store. And, I, and, and he reflected it right back. You know what I mean? And it was like, did he, was he ever like, Jake, you have to just do this. I need you to do this. I need this to keep going. Did, did he ever say, come on, never, or anything? No, never forced me. Um, Not he, forcing you, though. Just being like, come on, you don't see what we have no, here? No, he, well, because for me, being a doctor was something when I was starting when I was eight years old that I really wanted to do. And so... For a long, long time, for the majority of my life up to that point, all I wanted to do was be a doctor. So my father wasn't going to mess with that. And to his credit, like that actually, I think, allowed me to be able to want to come in. I think had he put a ton of pressure on me, might, I might have resented it or maybe not resisted. wanted to. Yeah, or, or resisted in some way. Um, but I will say when I did tell him that I wanted to do it, it was like, like that just pure smile like just huge grin ear to ear i guess that love was just coming out that that you're talking about there so when did you tell him at that end of that first year huh? i sat 
both my parents down. It's like, I think, I think I need to do this. And my father, like I said, my father was smiling. My mother, who is, you know, she's a tough cookie. She's like, for real. (laughs) Jake's mom is a tough cookie. She, she uh, was like, just got super practical with it. You know, what does that mean specifically month to month, week to week, day to day? Exactly what are you doing? What are you thinking? How are you thinking it? You know, my father was like, just happy. <laughs> Let's do that. I mean, also, it, it became like because you would have lunch with your dad every day. It was great, and it was like it was very beautiful. I'm very close with my dad, so I could I could see that. And I, yeah. I my I I just had my dad on the show, and uh, I was very mean to him. I'm very mean to my dad on the show. <laughs> like it's really I'm like really mean to him because recently, right? He comes that's out. That's just not fair because he's not. You know he's not going to be mean back to you. He's too nice. I know. That's why. That's good. He comes out. He came out to the house and um, and uh, you just Nora, pick on him. No, I, Nora. Nora drew him. Okay. You know what? Now I'm going to be mean to you in defense of your dad. Well, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Nora drew a picture. My dad's very critical. Nora drew a picture of her and my dad and gave it to him, and he said. He said, "Who's this?" <laughs> he's like, "He's like, what is this?" And and she, poor Nora is like, "Uh," and uh, he goes, and she goes, "Do you want me to color it in? Maybe that." And like Nora's like, "Fuck you! Do you want me to color it in?" And he's like, "He's like, yeah, I think that's a good idea." My dad gives the picture back, and then he comes out a month later. Linda gives him the picture, and you know what my dad says? I thought she was gonna color it in. <laughs> he's very critical. So I just made fun of him on the show about it. Um, so, you know, that, oh, wow. that's why I'm a heroin addict, because he was so difficult. He was so Jesus. critical. Anyway, so your dad is thrilled. Yeah. And, and, um, and I, I love watching you and your dad. And as at that point in my life in the store, Linda had just gotten pregnant. And um, that was like a, I feel like a couple years in, right? We held no, no, no. You came in 2010. Nine, technically. Right. Linda got pregnant in two, that, right then, like maybe six months after you came in. Got it. And when that happened... You were freaking out at first. Of course. I was uh, a drug addict uh, using drugs with a baby on the way with a woman that I had only known for six months. That's a lot. Yeah, that, I guess when you put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that'll do it. And I was part-time waitering and part-time managing. You were managing and inheriting the store. And I think that's when you started to notice things weren't so great in, uh, in Daveville. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were little things at first that I was just like, oh, maybe he's just a weird guy. <laughs> Which I still, maybe you are just a weird guy. But no, there were certain like lapses or things that we would talk about multiple times or like delays in doing things that were like, yeah, definitely noticeable. Well, I think also, uh, you know, in the midst of it, you would give me these looks. And I think later on you said, I think when I had just come back and I said, what were you thinking? You were like, I thought you were depressed. You know, I thought that you were like, I thought there was something wrong with you. I just couldn't imagine it was that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, it, that's, that's absolutely true. I thought, yeah, I just thought you were off. Like, I, I couldn't pinpoint it. Um, but, yeah, then once 
it sort of started like... I know informants in this place started telling you. Look at Dave. He's all fucked up. I have no He's comments. nodding out. I have no you can, we can just say informants. That. Half of them are dead now anyway. Damn. Um, I know Damn. all about it. I, I have my sources. I know what happened. I think, I think I have more informants than you realize, all right? I know of two. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not going to say names, but... So what did they say? So, right. So they were sort of pointing it out and turning it on and saying, like, hey, I think he's, he's using, you know... Some people were like, I don't know what he's using. Other people were like, I'm pretty sure... He's on heroin. He's on heroin. Other people were like, just look for yourself. And, and, and then I also overheard a lot of people talking amongst themselves, a lot of... So that's the other thing is often uh, uh, people get comfortable in wherever they are and whatever they do and any job and ever. And I think sometimes they maybe either forget and sometimes they do it on purpose probably, but sometimes they, they accidentally don't know what they're saying and I would overhear certain things, sometimes in English, sometimes in Spanish. Well, give me an example of that though. Um, well, I don't want to... I don't, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to give too many details because then it, certain things might give away people, and I don't want. I, it's not fair. Um, but it's definitely water under the bridge. I mean, that saved no, my but life I feel, in a way. Yeah, but I, I don't. I want people to feel they can trust me. And, and so, but if, they any, if anyone like, ends up listening to it, and then it's like, well, I can't tell Jake anything because I know he'll just spill about it later. So I, and nobody I listens to this show anyway. Fair enough. Um, yeah, hi to the three people listening. Um, <laughs> More people listen to this than Schmaltzy, though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh God! Oh, we can make fun of Schmaltzy later. Um, what the hell is that? Oh, right. So, like, did you? <laughs> one person was like, "Did you see him basically not out while talking to a customer uh, over a soup?" And then that other, the other person that they were talking to were like, "Yeah, he was there for like a solid six minutes." <laughs> And I was like, there's no way he, that in my head, because I had overheard this and I wasn't part of that conversation. I was like, there's no way that he was standing, hovering over a table for six minutes. Do, do people realize how long six minutes is? It's a long time. It's a long time. And then I looked at the camera. No, really? And it was... You never revealed this to me before. I have not told you this. It was somewhere between about 45 seconds and a minute. And It wasn't six minutes, though. It, it wasn't six minutes, but... Do you realize how long 45 seconds is? Dude, I do. I was a fucking disaster. And when, you, but when you talk about comfort in a job, are you talking about people talking about shit? Yes. Are you talking about my comfort in the job? Uh, I wasn't. I was actually talking about the first, about them, the comfort and the willingness. Ah, the, this, that's the one risk of filming inside of a restaurant, right? Is random waiters and waitresses come up. Um, Although I'm sure you spoke about Fanny many times on this podcast. I'm sure I have. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I was talking more about comfort level of, of coworkers talking to each other when a boss is walking by them. Right. Well, you spend 60 hours or more in this place, you better get comfortable. Right, it's your family, it's your friends, it's, you know, people that, it's your whole social network, so you're going to talk to them, which is fine. So in this particular, that particular story, I overheard it and then checked the camera myself. It was... It was bad. And that was close to that final... I think that might have even been in the final month before you ended up going to rehab. But I remember... I that mean, was, it, got, it was like... It was bad, but then it got really bad for the, for the last couple of weeks before. Yeah. I mean I, I mean, I don't remember... Things I remember... I remember... Chino says I dropped a Reuben on someone's head. 
That's something that he says. I remember it on the floor. I don't remember on someone's head. I, I remember. Feel like I feel like I would have heard know, about that I know, one. I know. I remember carrying two pitchers of water and spilling them both completely on the back counter. Two huge pitchers of water. So, like, that's it. I mean, like, that's a... I don't, I don't think we need to clarify specific spills because I think it was every single shift. I was spilling, spilling something. Shit. Charlie... And your tray would be just covered in fucking, like, mystery liquids every time you'd come... You'd Filth. bring... It, it was like, Grimy. Yeah, I was like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I was doing heroin. Um, <laughs> Charlie recently told me a story that he saw me carrying, like, a 30... The, the thing full of pickles, however many pounds that thing is, um, of pickled tomatoes, and your dad walks by, and I tripped, and I spilled a whole thing of pickled tomatoes in front of him, and, uh, and Charlie's like, your dad was just like, uh-huh, you know, <laughs> and that's like, your dad saying uh-huh means like he was just fucking keeping score, because your dad knew what the hell was oh, going on. Yeah, my father and I had spoken about Because well. that's another thing, though. Katz's is nestled on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, which became the hotbed in Manhattan, in Lower Manhattan, for drugs. And I was certainly not the first person to use drugs working at Katz's. Um, <laughs> the amount of people I've fired over the years for that is... Yeah. Do you remember the one guy who used the camera outside of the employee bathroom as a as a mirror to like check and see if he still had shit all over his nose. That's yeah, that's classic. Well, he also, he first, he snorted and he's snorting dope, I think too. Snorting dope in front of the camera and then using the camera reflection to see if he has anything on his nose. And it was like, we pulled him in the office. We're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you're very clearly fired right now. (laughs) Well, I remember the last day I was in bad shape. I was, like, super high. I was on Xanax. And, I, I mean, I used to shoot dope every morning before I would come in just to make it through the day. And I was doing a ton of dope. You know, Linda had left. I was living on Grand Street. Um, and I was, in, I was in terrible shape. You know, I would come in. I was never late, though, even on the dope. I was always early. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was not... Oh, thank God well, for that. I'm just yeah. saying. I was, I, because, like, I just couldn't handle being late on dope. That just seemed like too much. And... Um, I remember the last day. Uh, is that really where the line is drawn? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't like being late. Oh, I, can, I don't mind shooting late. heroin, but I'm not going to come to work late. Like by the end of this conversation, I'm going to be just so fucking stressed out. No, it's, yeah. it has a happy ending. Um, or a happy, a happy moment, Fair. at least. Um, you came up to me and you asked me what had happened. And I said, uh, I took Xanax... I took NyQuil last night, and I took Xanax this morning, and I'm just fucked up on the Xanax. Didn't I tell you that? I, yes, you did. And then you said, go home. <laughs> That's what you said. You said, you, said, you got to go. And I said, okay. And, um, and I don't remember who called me. Do you remember? Somebody said, don't come back, basically. Uh... I don't remember at all. Maybe you said, go home and don't come back. You know, meaning like, we're going to deal with this. Get your shit together. Yeah. Yeah. And then I called up Fred, your uncle, and I went to meet him at a diner in Midtown, and I just sobbed in front of him, and I went to rehab, you know. And and then I came back, 
We and, actually spoke about that then too. My uncle, uh, I saw him the next day for breakfast, and we we're eating, and it was like, it was like, should we give him a chance? It was like he's family. I think we should. And I think actually I learned a lot from that moment too, because I think later there were there have been people who have been like, we'll work with you if you go and get help. And a lot of that be was because of that moment it was because it was very early on in my being here and seeing like the compassion part of it and the sympathy part of it and the like value of a second chance, you know, and or of a redemption was because of that conversation, right? And it was, I think, the next day after he spoke to you. Well, I, I, what I remember was Fred... Which, by the way, I realize is at odds with me saying the amount of people I've fired, but like there's certain ones you have to fire and there's like no like... Well, I think Question, because also like as a business owner, you can't tolerate things, and the rule has to be: well, if you do things on your own time, that's one thing. But if you do things that on fuck with my time, time or my or business, liability, exactly. Well, the first thing you said to me, I, I came back, and you said, you said, "Give me the keys," because I had the keys to the store, and you said, "Listen, you can wait tables, but you're not going to manage the store again." And I said, "Never," and you said. I don't think so. <laughs> and I said, I said, never, ever, ever. And you were like, I don't think so. And I was like, okay. And, um, and the truth was, I was not ever a good manager, nor was <laughs> I cut out to manage the store. You know, I just, it was not my, my we talent. We all have strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. That's, what, that's what we were talking about before. Um, and I started waiting tables. And, um, and I really learned how to do it. Yes. Um, I never learned how to make money or how to work in my life until I did that job in here. You did a really good job, I'll say. Like, you knew how to work a table to a point that was actually scary from what... Because like, I would overhear sometimes the shit you would say to customers, and I was like, oh, no, this, uh, <laughs> this is going to be really bad. But you would... You know... You knew exactly where the line was. You knew how... Because you, you're good with people, and you know how to do that but sometimes jesus that was scary dude but sometimes i didn't do that and i remember yeah, you would say you would say you to the opposite you'd say usually you know where the line is <laughs> and yet you do, do you remember oh, that the, the couple you may cry the, I, there's a few of them uh, uh where was she from there was the the girl the who owned the fries or the or there was a, there was a military oh, guy oh god i forgot about that one too oh man yeah you, you okay you've made a couple tales cry and can i tell you something that's really fucked up I'm totally proud of that. That you, sh that's bad. You should. I'm so proud. I mean, how can a waiter make a customer cry by being a total dick? No, no. I, I I'm and just insulting. You, here's why: because you weren't insulting in a funny, haha. Like we're all we're New Yorkers, ha ha ha. Gruff. It was like you are a fundamentally flawed human. <laughs> I hate everything about you. I right. hate everything from right. like the the look of you to the sound of your voice and everything in between. And then they would start fucking crying. Right. I would, I did have a lot of attitude, right? Yeah. And then, but like, not, you're right. Like, I guess I, I forgot about some of those tables. I guess it's good for you that I think of it as a very good time for you as a waiter. Like I, I think you did a good job as a waiter overall. Well, what I did was I, I reestablished the tradition of the dickhead Jewish waiter at Katz's. Yeah, yeah. I was very proud of that, and I really enjoyed it. And what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you remembering? 
Well, I'm remembering the influence you had on that other guy. Uh, Joe was his name? The cutter who basically tried to do what you were doing, but he didn't understand that, like, you're supposed to crack a smile at the end of them. You're supposed to win them over at the end of it. You're supposed to do something that makes them like you. Right. And he would just do all of the stuff before because he would watch you do it. And then, what the hell was that guy's name? Was it Joe? The little white guy? Yeah. Yeah, Joe. From Florida? Oh, no. There was two, two little white guys. <laughs> was he a waiter or a cutter? Hinkley. Oh, wait. I probably shouldn't say Oh, that. Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably shouldn't say I'll it. bleep his name out. All right. Uh, yeah, that. No, that's the one that was like, it's like, dude, you you're like, just he's too giving, far you're like, all the time. You're giving good kids bad ideas. Yeah. <laughs> but I had, I had an expertise with that. You have to admit, like, I, I was very good at that. You were very good at it, except for the times that are all coming back to me now where you weren't. I waited tables in this place for 10 years for, you know, 50 hours a week or something. So you got, when you make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that's the ideal way to have customer service, but... You, listen... But yes, fair. You, you did break know a few eggs. that people or still come dozen. in years later and ask for me to be their waiter. Yeah, and then when they find out you're not, they're they're really overjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> they're thrilled. I'll take literally anyone else. Now, I think um, I think what you said is very. The thing that interests me is like you got to see me get better, you know. And when I came back from rehab, I was still smoking weed, and I was still volatile. We actually talked about that. I remember at one point too. You were like, "Yeah, I I need to smoke weed because I can't do a hundred percent. Like that's right for me." I was like, hey, listen, all right, fine, but like, as long as you know your boundaries and your limits and what works for you and what doesn't, I think I said to you, as long as you don't do it here, as long as you're like capable and on top of it when you're here, do whatever you want. Well, I think you have a, a, a pseudo libertarian approach with your employees in that it's like, it's none of my business what you do. You are basically like, if you want to go do it, Go do it, but if you fuck up here, you're gonna pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not. You were like, I'm not your priest or your rabbi yeah. or your moral code. You were like, if that's what you want to do, do it. But the truth is that when I was doing it, that's when I was still pretty volatile. Yeah, like I would fight with the other waiters and I would scream at customers and I would scream at, you know, employees. And I didn't have any sort of code of ethics or accountability or whatever and it took me you know i didn't you know i didn't get that stuff until i got actually sober yeah. you know and that's when i actually became different in here. and then that and i yeah that definitely there was a change there where it went from yeah there's been a lot of phases of dave haven't there i was this better. is a good one this is it's the slight you know slightly crazy a more composed family man version. Oh, dude. I mean, that's all. I mean, uh-oh. Kevin, come in here. What do you need, Kev? Uh, I was looking for some cables that had some cables. Jake is jumping on the show. Talk a little bit about Katz's. A little about his experience dealing with my... Mostly making fun of him. Addiction and... Uh, Actually, not even really. A little bit. Addiction, recovery, dealing with me at my worst. Now, this is Kevin. Kevin is one of the general managers of the store that... What is your title these days? 
I have no idea what my title is. I think you have it. What's Kevin's title these days? I, I have no idea what it is either. But Kevin is a wonderful. <laughs> it's, I just hope that nobody asked me that question. Kevin, I, I've been, I've known Kevin since I was how old, Kevin? Eighteen years old. Yeah, something like that. But... And Kevin, what was my worst in your recollection? What do you mean your worst? You know what I mean. Worst moment. The when you when I would oh and me and when I was when I was managing I would work with Kevin. And I was really all fucked up, right, Kev? I didn't know it at the time. So when did you notice? Uh, the, the last day that you'd worked here before that. You were working on the floor as a waiter. And it was pretty obvious that, uh, you know, that you were pretty messed up at that moment. Well, what gave it away? I think you said it to me last week or something. Yeah, you, you were holding a, a tray full of food out on the floor. And you were, like, drifting off. You almost dropped the entire tray of, of food, like, on people. And Charlie was there and caught it. Almost dropped it. It's better than, the, it. than all the other times that you actually did drop yeah, it. Yeah, no, the times you dropped it, you were completely clean. Yeah, that's not, that's not inaccurate. Um, well, thank you, Kevin. I, I appreciate your recollection. Is there anything else you want to add to the Adobe podcast before we, we move on? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I just remember, personally, it was, it was a heartbreaking moment. Yeah, did you think I was ever going to make it back, Kevin? Uh, I, I hope so. I, you know, I, at the moment, I honestly, I think I had a, a hard time probably ad- admitting it to myself, that, you know, just seeing you like that. So. Well, that's an interesting question. In, in both of your careers, employing people, because a lot of people work in this store, and like you said you've seen your share of people suffering from substance abuse. How many have you seen get out of it? Most don't, I would say. Very few do. And I, I, I yeah, I didn't think you were going to stay clean. You didn't? Honest. No. And now, sorry to be perfectly Now blind. how do you feel about it? Now I'm impressed. You feel you feel confident that this is gonna. I'm gonna totally. I, I do actually. Yeah, but had you asked me even five years ago, I probably wouldn't have thought that you'd stay clean. Well, five years ago, I was like a year. I had a year, so that makes yeah. sense. I think the change that I noticed, like where it seems like it would stick, was in the last like three years. I would say, and probably probably like around the time. You like moved out, you know, got the house and second kid, and th- and like those types of moments. I think there was like a clicking and a realization that's very different than the than earlier. Well, when when you have to, I mean, one thing that was uh, heartbreaking uh, for me was uh, I remember I went to your dad, and I was like, Alan, what, what do you think, like? I'm I'm doing good. Like, don't you think I could be a manager? Like, I want to be part of this thing. And he looks at me, and, and your dad loved me. Like, your dad loved he loved my shtick more than anybody in the store. Like, literally. He's the man. He's a man who loves shtick. Yeah. Yes. He was the only. Probably, I, I even. <laughs> That's for I'll, sure. I'll even rephrase that. He was probably the only person <laughs> in the store who actually liked my shtick. Um, and he looked at me, and he he gave me this look, and he said, "David, once a junkie, always a junkie." And I was like. Oh, that fucking hurt. But it was also a measuring stick for me. And I think part of the reason he said it was to elicit that response. It's like, you're either going to do this or you're not, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think also a, a lifetime of seeing people unable to, to escape it is like 
definitely jades your view on it, right? I mean, how many people do you know that who try to and then don't? And, and so then it fucks with your brain and you start thinking like, okay, well, there's no hope, right? And there's no hope. And the odds are there are no hope because so often that is the case. Um, I'm not saying like I'm not glad that you're of course not, <laughs> but but it it would it'd be a lie to say like I you know we spoke about it my father and I spoke about it too and we're like yeah it's kind of a matter of time because also the way you were approaching it some of the things you were doing made it it felt like it was a matter of time it felt like there was no hope yeah because I because I wasn't sober and I was doing a lot of stupid shit. It wasn't so much the you weren't sober as it was the stupid shit. Well, the idea of sober, not being all fucked up, but probably the actual definition of sober is clear-headed, good judgment, sober thinking. Fair enough. Then in that case, yes. Right. I, I meant more like... I, I was nodding out shit. at the table. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't give yeah. a shit if you, you want to smoke weed on, on your own time. I don't care about that. As long as you're, A, not using anything more serious that's going to lead to a decline, and even more importantly, you're doing anything that's going to affect your work here um you know personal side right like thinking just from a business perspective totally but um, and you it didn't look like that was gonna be the case for a while no because i because i could not uh, use sober thinking or, or be sober or do anything right um and then you shockingly like i don't even know how I pulled it off, but I got out of waiter service. It was the greatest thing. It was the greatest accomplishment I've ever done in my life. I can't, I can't believe I did it. Yeah, now, we just, now you're pissing off customers in a different way. In a no, totally yeah. radically new way. Different level. Yeah. Whole different level now. Yeah, now you just call them up and abuse them at home. Yeah, well, I mean, or at their job. <laughs> or at their job. <laughs> but... Um, but and, and it's been for me like to get out of waiter service was like the fucking greatest thing that ever happened to me and chipping away from it. So I thank you and I thank you for letting me work here. Um, it's been amazing and horrible at the same time. <laughs> um, but when you deal, because I've been here for a long time and I've seen a lot of people continually struggle with substance abuse. Yes. Um, how do you deal with it as their employer? Like in, in terms of like like. How how long can you let them go? Uh, what can you do for them? What responsibility do you feel when working with them? It's a that's a really good question. I don't know that there is an actual like answer to that. I feel like often it's it's person to person. Like sometimes, well, first off, there are clear answers, right? Clear instances, like like I mentioned before, if you're doing something on the job, it's cut and dry. There's no you know, wishy-washiness about it because I can get in trouble. The store can get in trouble. We could all get shut down and have no jobs tomorrow. So there, there has to be a zero tolerance policy from a business perspective there. But if you're at home and you're going out seven nights a week and you're, you're popping pills and doing whatever you're doing and you're out till six in the morning and then it's fucking up your work the next day, that, you know, that's where the gray area starts and becomes less, you know, it starts to shade a little bit. You know, you talk to them, you pull them aside one by one, I think, and Kevin and I have both done this, um, where first, you know, uh, one manager will say something to them, pull them aside, one of us will pull them aside, like, hey, you're messing up, you got to pull it in, you know, and you hope that works, but you don't know how, you don't know how deep in the hole they are when, when it gets that, when it's at that point already. 
Um, although usually if we're speaking to them, it's usually at a point that's bad. Right. If, if we've noticed it at that point, then it's, it's noticeable and they're, they're beyond a point where it's just not, not affecting them here. You know, if you're, if you're doing it and then you're, you're bringing it onto your job and you can't, like, help yourself, then you're definitely past a certain point. Right. And then at that point, once you're past that point, it's like, what can you do? And, you know, and you can plead with them and you can try to get other people to plead with them. But it does feel like all roads then lead to eventually, like... It's got to end. Because yeah, they're... Go. I, I mean, like, I haven't seen anybody else in this place get better besides me. Um, but that, that said, the people outside of you, I think that we have had experiences with that. We usually, once they're not here anymore, we don't see them after that really to know what their story is after. So it's, it's very possible that they've been on a road to recovery. They turned around. It's not like people that we have a personal you know, connection to that we've seen like, you know, down the road. It's like, hey, you know, I'm glad you got your act together, which, you know, could, be, could very well be the case. I know there's a couple of people... Yeah, that we've just, dealt with that true. after the fact, and I have no idea really what happened. With it's absolutely true. But there's there's some people I feel like we've spoken to and say like, "Hey, it's it's starting down that road." I'm not saying don't live your life or do whatever you want to do. I'm not in charge of you, but I am in charge of your employment, and and I've noticed that they'll. Either maybe they're just hiding it better, to be honest, um, or they're they come up with a set schedule of, of how they're going to use how they're going to use, and then they they'll fuck up where like on specific you know once a month they'll fuck up, you know what I mean? And and it becomes like an acceptable level of 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 it. You can handle that. But I've se- we've seen that once or twice too, where I don't know where that falls in the spectrum. I mean, like. You know. Well, it's somewhere before somebody spins out of control or yeah. it's somebody who might not be an addict and maybe they just use too much and maybe it's not like that or maybe it doesn't even matter. the line is, right? Like where do you, where do you physically, where does it become addiction versus where is it, you know, if you're doing it regularly, the same thing every month for years and years, how? The line is defined in the, in, in the addiction world as when you recognize your life has become unmanageable. And you decide you're an addict. So then or in those cases, they're not addictive. They, they don't have an addiction because it is manageable for those people. Exactly. So it's the step before, and they're able to manage a work-life balance, I guess you would call it. People there. would say functional drug addict is what people would say. Sure. Um, it's functional alcohol. It's functional, you know, anything. Yeah. Because if you're able to function on a daily basis, not bring it on your job or, you know, not have anybody realize that that's what's going on that you can still maintain, you know, a, a higher level of function, then it's, you know... Then we've definitely had a, a, a fair share of those, of those oh, yeah. where... And that line is sometimes, like, the cross... The, it's That's like a tiptoe. They go back and forth. They're like, they fuck up, and then they're fine. Then they fuck up, and they're fine. And they're, like, on that... Just on the border between functional and... and, and those guys usually wind up getting fired, though. For something, yeah, they, something something goes wrong potentially. I mean, but then again, I mean, listen, they're not in control, you know, of of that aspect. Then they're usually not in control of something else, you know, here. Yeah. Also, we have two hundred people here. We don't know everyone's personal life. There, Thank there God. may be like one hundred and ninety people that that would fall into this this functional category. I don't think so, but hey, you never know. I understand exactly what you mean because I think that's a, a, a fine point. Um, now, we've talked a lot about 
my career at Katz's, your career at Katz's. We've implied Kevin's career at Katz's. He's been here since he was a kid, and now he's, he's not a kid anymore. But what I want to know before we go is um, the craziest shit you've seen at Katz's. And I've seen a lot of crazy shit at Katz's. And I know what you're thinking right now is, what can I say now on this thing? I know what the, you're thinking. I know the craziest thing I've seen here. But what can I say on Dopey? And I'm going to tell the story. My favorite crazy story is how I got to waiter service. And that story was there was a gay waiter named Nigel. And Nigel uh, had a meat cutter named Caesar, who's now an internet millionaire making, I think he has four, not a millionaire, but I think he made $400,000 on Dogecoin. Caesar. 400 grand. Anyway, so Caesar's cutting fucking pastrami. Nigel comes up. I think Caesar says a homophobic remark at Nigel and not, let me have a matzo ball soup, faggot. He had a different horrible uh, line. He said, like, you're gay or something, and Nigel got I think pissed. It was way worse than yeah, that. and then and that's something about each other's mother. Nigel grabs the knife, stabs Caesar in the ear lobe, not the important part of the ear, and they get fired, and I become a waiter. The greatest, the other greatest moment in my career was that moment. It's like George Harrison. The greatest moment is him becoming a Beatle, and the second greatest is him leaving the Beatles. Exactly. So, Kevin, what can you think of as a, as a... I'll let you go first, because Kevin will go based on you. What is a good rock'em, sock'em, Katz's moment? Ay, ay, ay. Um, I feel like there's been some good one, like, late-night brawls, uh, like 4 a.m., knives out, you know, 20 on 20. That was a pretty wild one. What was that? It was... Uh, it was 4.30 in the morning, I think, or something like that. Are you and talking about with the, uh, the plates up front by the grill? That no, was that was story. a wild one, too, though, yeah, where I he jumped over the grill. Name, yeah. yeah, that was pretty wild. No, yeah, we're going to skip that one. Yeah. Well, that was a classic. I was there for that one. That was when, I can't say anybody's name, no. that was when a certain manager hit a certain customer with a certain door. Uh, oh, no, that's a different one, that's too. That's a different story. Yeah. No, I, I'm talking about the one where th- these guys came in and there was somebody working at the grill and they started taking the, the plates. Does his name rhyme with Lino? No. No. Oh, well. Does his name rhyme with Even? Uh, possibly. Good. No comment. <laughs> so what happened? They, they started, they, these guys came in and they uh, came in purposely just to see him and they started taking the plates and throwing it at him. He's behind the counter and they're, and they're throwing plates at him. Then they all run out. He grabs something sharp. And Does it rhyme with bife? <laughs> and and <laughs> leaps, leaps over the entire grill in one, one bound. Was the most is, athletic thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and run, runs out the door chasing them. And like, well, that was obviously, that was, that was it. Yeah, that, This employee that might have a, a real likeness to Andre Ingadala. That's fucking funny. <laughs> It looks we're, exactly we're like it. We're going to move on. We're going to move on from but, that. Um, yeah. But that was, I mean, like, most importantly, the, one of the coolest things about Katz is it's a 133-year-old restaurant that exists at the crossroads of New York City where it's employed by, uh, by generations of first-generation immigrants to New York. So what you get in that soup is magic. And you get danger, and you get craziness, and you get... Dreams becoming fulfilled, and you get violence sometimes, but it is that heady you brew. Get, you also get 
weird sex acts in the bathroom sometimes. What kind of weird sex acts in the bathroom? Well, let your imagination run wild. Do you have a camera in the bathroom? No, I don't. Is this Chuck, is this Chuck, is this Chuck Berry's restaurant? No, no, but... Oh, sir, he had a camera in the bathroom? He had a camera in the toilet, and he used to shoot uh, videos of vaginas. Is that you, how do you not know this? Aren't you a rock and roll fan, Kevin? I, I, I listen to the music. Yeah, but he's also a big Chuck Berry fan, so then he's like, no, I, can't, I refuse to accept not this. Chuck. <laughs> not Chuck. So, so can you think, I mean, like, so... Maybe Marvin Berry, but not Chuck Berry. All right, <laughs> just, just, just relax. Nice. Come on, take it easy. Um, I think uh, it is a magical place. It is, it is, I, I call it the most delicious corner in the universe. Yeah. You like I that one? I think the customer's like make it more special than it than like if if there weren't for the customers then we'd just be a bunch of psychopaths running around with knives <laughs> so i think you, the, the craziness of the customers so it i think it's more than the craziness of the staff but i think we have more fun with the story. It's, it's, so. it's an incredible balance if it you is. think about it. It's crazy on both sides of the counter. Between the, the balance of craziness of the people that work here and the craziness of the people that come in. Yeah. And the and, the, and you're right. I like the original thing. I like that visual of like the joy, absorbing joy and then reflecting joy. Because it, it happens with joy and craziness and like nostalgia. Like all those things reflect on both sides of the counter between, between each other. And then there's these awesome moments that just like really New York moments that end up happening across customers, between cutters, talking to different customers. And then and there's all sorts of crazy... Interactions, it's like the best people watching in the world. You, you I mean, it's amazing. And, um, and, and it's more legitimate to, to actually st start a conversation with somebody than talking to somebody on the street. You know, it's like you're both getting yeah. pastrami at least, yeah, and no, you're, you're not a you're weirdo. Here and there's, there's, you know, Katz's becomes a common ground, and then conversation opens up from there. It's like, oh, you, you can come here. Oh, it's my first time here. Where are you from? Yeah, and you know, it opens up that whole window of first timers or people that have been coming here for you know whole lives and it's it's a, like a cool interaction to watch from an outside point. it really is and kevin how how long have you worked here uh, uh 40 i think it's 40 or 41 I never 41 years okay when i met kevin he was a young man with a leather coat a guitar <laughs> on his hands and a dream on his lips <clears throat> i got rid of the leather coat actually the coat's in the closet now what have you uh what have you experienced in a the changes with the store, the customers, in 41 years. Um, how do you sum that up? Less crazy or more 40, crazy or same years. crazy? Well, you saw, I mean, basically, as the city changes, Katz's changes, only we're like the bottom of the ocean, so the change comes to us last, I think. Well, the, na the neighborhood changes. Know you know, just just the people in the neighborhood change. Some people, I mean, I, there's a handful of people that I've been seeing since day one that still come in here. Um, the staff, obviously, you know, just the whole demographics of people that, you know. I Talk about the demographics of the people that have worked here in the 41 years that you've been here. Well, when I first started, there was a lot of uh, Russian guys behind the counter, the Polish guys. Uh, Russians, the Russian guys scared the shit out of me. I was a kid. <laughs> not going to lie. Why? Because they were big and had big knives and were mean. <laughs> scared the shit out. I was like six years old, just terrified of those guys. 
Yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty different, really. Different atmosphere. I don't know. Just like, just like an old, old-timey... Well, I imagine you know, if I was six again. And we were, we were younger also, too. Scare the shit out of me. Yeah, we, we were a lot younger at, at the time, you know, seeing these guys. It was, I don't know. And people would smoke cigarettes while they cut sandwiches. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, that was, you know, just different times, you know. No hats, no gloves, you know, smoking cigarettes and... That was, Do you think we'll be like no masks at one point in the future? It'd be like, ah, oh, it was a simpler time, no masks. Like, I, so. I wonder I if we'll so. have to do masks for the rest of our lives. You said that to me, and I thought it was very poignant. I just wonder. I don't know. What's I think be. it will be in here, which is sad, yeah. which sucks. I, well, I don't know, because there is this pushback from the restaurant industry saying, like, you can't give great customer service by not if you don't see... The person see face. the smile. It's funny because in here it's like no, you take the mask down, they're still not smiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, but that part could backfire. Right, actually. exactly. We, we're actually better it's off like, with the oh, mask. Oh man, that that guy is really giving me a dirty look. Now, is there anything? I think uh, we, we've we've painted a nice picture of Katz's, my time at Katz's. Is there anything else you? Aha! Uh-huh. Around Christmas last year. I got a dopey discount for the Dopey Nation of 10% off using the code Dopey in shipping. Why the hell did we give you 10%? I don't know, but it, you, barely, you, barely, you barely let it happen. <laughs> like Everyone complained. They're not giving me the 10%. Will you give 10% to the Dopey Nation with Dopey code Dopey? How many orders are we getting out of this? It's not bad. I don't know. They, they, none of the orders went through last time. I'm asking <laughs> I, only when I work the phones to... But it's really not. Yeah, yeah. I could say exactly. I could say any number, and if you don't get the discount, Dave will pay the difference. Are you willing to give the Dopey Nation ten percent off? Sure, I'll give Dopey Nation ten percent with the Dopey code. Dopey. So creative. Thank you. You said I was very creative, so that's good. Is there there anything you want to add before we're through? I don't know. I feel like we covered a bunch of topics here. You were asking about crazy stories before. Yes. It's not. I don't know if this is crazy, but my earliest one of my earliest recollections of working here, I was probably here one maybe two weeks at the time, and I remember I'm working by the the French fry station, and it was early in the morning, and a homeless guy came in, and he's talking to Izzy, and he was asking for some food, so. He gave him like a couple of hot dogs and he came over to me and gave him french fries. And then he was like asking for something else. And it's like, what are you talking about? And he said, and the guy ended up calling him, you cheap Jew bastard. <laughs> and Izzy, I remember he was in the, fr- they were in the front of the store and I'm standing like halfway back. He punched him in the face <laughs> after he said, you cheap Jew bastard. And Izzy punched him in the face. And I wow. heard the slap of the hand on the face. Get the hell out of my store! <laughs> and I'm like, it was me. I'm like 14. I worked here like Damn. a week or two. I'm like, holy cow, this is that's crazy. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's awesome. Yeah. I wish I punched somebody in the face in here. We have had some fun stories with random homeless people from the neighborhood coming in here or being involved. In. Do you remember the one guy who I paid him like 50 or 75 bucks to make sure no one messed with the concrete while Ezra. I was driving? Yeah, Ezra's well documented on Dopey. He, that was that was he was he took that job so seriously, dude. Ezra, I got he I would a, like nod off onto the concrete and then like bounce up and then yell at people for coming close to it. He One was, night, was Ezra wild. walked me home holding an umbrella over my head, and then the next day he wouldn't give me a cigarette, and I went crazy. <laughs> I went insane. You know, he lived in a brownstone on uh, yeah. on East Broad. Where is he? Is he dead? Yeah, he died. Yeah. 
This episode is dedicated to Ezra. Oh, my God. I feel terrible. When did he die? A couple of years ago. Ezra, a.k.a. Black, a.k.a. Mudfoot. This episode is for you. That's, like, a, that's what you call him? That's what, that was where his, his pseudonyms. And he also was, he was a songwriter. He wrote songs, and he, would, he sang like Sam Cooke out in the street. He was the greatest homeless guy we ever had. I didn't yeah. know he was gone. Yeah. And then another, more recently, um, when we let Nathan come in to use the bathroom sometimes. and then Nate's very angry at you, by the way. I just ran into him. He says, what's up with Jacob? I don't see him. He doesn't take care of me. Yeah, I, he's annoying me, like, lately. He d- first, okay. <laughs> got into a, I got into a real argument Wait, hold on. Before you say anything, Nathan is a homeless guy who lives on 25th Street in a condo. He smokes crack. He makes, like, $200 a day on the street and is, has a home. That's yeah. the best part about it. Anyway. Uh, yeah. All of which is true. Is a condo? Yes. He's, it's outrageous. He's the greatest. The greatest homeless guy. Actually, one time I saw him on the subway. And it was like he's like wearing a business suit. The most awkward interaction of my life because I'm there with my now wife and like we're like heading somewhere to meet a friend or something like that. This homeless guy comes up is like, "Hey, Jake, how you doing?" She's like, "Excuse me." She's like, "You know everybody." <laughs> um, we met in prison. Yeah, yeah. Just tell some crazy story. But anyway, so he like absolutely blew up the bathroom in here one day. It was like, I mean, this, he took a really stinky. Uh, yeah. Yes. Horrible. Horrible. Like, and and it spilled out into the floor, and it was like not physically spilled out. Like the, the, the odor. odor spilled out, and it was the most foul stench. And like, no one could sit in this part of the store for like a solid hour. And I, I was like, so that's one of the reasons I got mad at him. I was like, do you think that was appropriate? Like, I, wow. are you kidding me? I think you need to. You, I think you need to break bread with Ezra. Give him a chicken salad sandwich. Not you know, Ezra. I mean, sorry, with Nate. I know you know he likes the chicken salad. It's the only thing he'll eat. And the hot dogs, right? And hot dogs. Uh, or just the just only chicken, chicken salad. salad. Yeah. I think you should bring a chicken salad home today and give one, give one to Ezra. I gave him a... a whatever his name is, Nate. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ezra. I, just, I can't believe he died. I can't believe... I mean, I can believe it, but I'm... I'm I, because he... People ask me about it. There was a project for... Like, um, I remember someone... What was this? They were doing like a, a a documentary on him or something like that. I heard about that too. There was a whole dopey episode where I went home from the store. Chris was still alive. Chris had stayed at my house one night, and he was waiting for me when I got home. And Ezra wouldn't give me a fucking cigarette, and I lost my mind. And I went home, and the whole episode was about Ezra. <laughs> and 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 then and then like Chris was like Chris was like, how old do you think he is? I say he's probably seventy-one, and he's like he could be anywhere between like fifty, 50 and hundred. Like, <laughs> yeah, there was, there was no clue how old that. And Chris was. was like, and Chris was like, and was he big? Was he virile? And I was like, no, he was small and <laughs> and frail. Yeah. And Chris is like, well, you sound like you're afraid of him. Are you afraid of him? And I was like, totally and absolutely <laughs> afraid of him. <laughs> and like it was a whole thing. And then people in the Dopey Nation will write me and ask me about Ezra, and I guess that's the answer. He died. Yeah. I'm- so, okay, I should also be clear. Like, I was told this information. You don't know that he died. So, like, I, don't, I didn't see the body, for example. Right. You don't know for a fact, but he hasn't been around. But, like, yeah, it was, I haven't seen him in three years, I want to say. I want to say longer. And someone told me that he had passed away. So I feel like those are safe to assume that that's what happened then. Well, 
Now this episode is taking a real was, sad turn. We're between one and three witnesses that uh, are <laughs> women and... You, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, this has been a joy for me to finally include some of my real work here. Do you, and is there anything, like, people have also said that uh, when I make fun, when I do Ishmael's voice, there's too much homophobia. Do you agree with that? Yeah. All right, is there anything else you'd like to add before we end this thing? I also think your Ishmael impersonation is not great, but I've told you that before. And you disagree with me every time you say it. Let me go. I can't do it. I'm, I'm not around him enough. Kevin, you do your Ishmael. Uh, I'm not around him that much either. Here. Try to do it better than this. Let me go. You are the greatest gay. <laughs> the greatest what? He sees me. He says, he says you are the greatest gay. Unbelievable. <laughs> you're, you're the greatest. <laughs> That was way better than you. Oh, are you kidding me? Give me a matzo ball soup, faggot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, come on. All right. Do you want to say goodbye? Say, say, say. Uh, oh, quick, quick, uh, quick crazy story. That I, one of my favorite crazy stories here. I, I wasn't here, but I actually did watch it on camera after the fact. This guy came in with, I don't know if he was by himself with somebody else. He was so drunk. He, he or stone, whatever he was, you know, high from, ordered a sandwich sat down, oh, yeah, I remember this ate one. the sandwich, and then went back to order the counter, not because he was hungry, but because he totally forgot that he ate the sandwich. How do you know? Because he, like, he didn't want to, like... Ate the second sandwich fully. Yeah, he thought that he, he just didn't remember eating the first yeah. sandwich. Well, there's so many customers that we've seen. The ticket also. 2 to 4 a.m. on, a, like, pre-pandemic on a Saturday night, or on a Friday night, were just, like, it's sloppy. Wasted, sloppy, wasted people. Sloppy. And when we came in, when, when, we, when I started working, there were no stalls on the bathroom doors because the junkies would shoot up in there. Is that true? Actually, we had, for a while, we had keys on the door, so you couldn't go into the bathroom without getting the key. And that was pretty annoying, but... Necessary. Junkies come up to you and be like, eh, let, me, yeah. let me use let me this get a cup of ice and the key to the toilet. A cup of ice and a glass of ice and some rice pudding. Can I have a spoon and yeah. a glass of water, please? <laughs> You're like, ah, I, I'm on to you. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Was this a joy for you like it was for me? Uh, it's always a pleasure, Dave. I don't know if I second that. So I think that was very special to have Jake uh, spend so much time on Dopey. Obviously, he was uh, a huge figure in my rise and fall you know or my fall and rise my fall into like because when I worked at Katz's that was the deepest probably the deepest bottom I ever had that was the the probably the most heroin I ever did consistently because I was making a lot of money as a manager and I would spend every dollar I made on heroin that was a period where I would probably do three or four bundles a day or between two and you know I'd spend between two and four hundred dollars a day and in those days I think that was that was the only period that I used like that that I worked so much and I would take some gigantic shot in the morning before going over there and I would work a shift and I would get home and I would take a gigantic shot when I came home and I lived 11 minutes away and I remember, uh, I remember going to work, and if I was sick at work, I could call somebody and just... I remember one day I went to work. I didn't have anything. I called up this dealer guy. He didn't have anything, but he had Suboxone. 
And like, I just remember it was like the hottest summer morning and I was changing in the basement and the guy called me back and I ran out without a shirt. I think that was like the only time I've ever been on the streets of New York City without a shirt. And I ran back to get my shirt and then I ate up some Suboxone and I went to work. I also like, this is something I never wanted to say, but when I was a manager, like one of my jobs was to count money in the store and I would be so high that I would nod off into the, the cat's money. And it was like, it was some weird fucking dark time. I also really remember when I would get home from work because it was so early. I would work like a 6 to 3 shift, 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift or an 8 to 3 shift. And I would get home from work. And I felt like the luckiest guy in the world, like my kitchen would be full of light and I would take those ridiculously black shots and, um, and then I would just do nothing. And, uh, I really, I mean, like I, I ran home from work to get high in that period and, and my life got continually worse and worse and worse. And, um, and I, I wound up bottoming out really bad at cats, as, as Jake described. And I wound up uh, having to get better. And these people that I worked with at Katz's for the past 12 years kind of became my, uh, my family and my friends and obviously my, my colleagues. But they saw me go through some shit. And they, we all saw the incredible... Uh, epic that is Katz's itself. So I wanted to talk to a few people about how they observed me. And uh, this is Charlie. And uh, I want him to, he's going to talk a little bit about what it was like between us in the beginning. What's going on? Hold on, hold on. You got to pick that shit up. You need, talk, me, to, oh. you need me to talk like this? Ooh. Right, like we ready. Yeah. Dopey. All right. So I'm talking to, you know, you're one of my heroes, Charlie. Do you know that? I did not know that. This is Charlie. He's one of my heroes. Charlie, he, he gets a vision. He does shit. And Charlie's very crucial to the Dopey Nation. Charlie did the first fucking Dopey Snapbacks. He did the first Dopey Beanies. He did the Oy Vey hats. So Charlie is a hero of mine because he's one of the most important managers of cats. As we say you're the general manager of cats, as we say that? Is that a thing? No. Nah, if you say that, then I'll get fired. But there's some, you're some high-ranking manager. If, if you need something done at Katz's, you go to Charlie. And Char, a, Charlie also run a clothing store. He's a visionary. That's why you're one of my heroes, Charlie. I appreciate that, Dave. You like that? It's true. I appreciate that. I think, have, you, I think you've ignored me telling you that for years. I have because, you know, sometimes you don't want your flowers given to you. You want them later. All right, just for that. Because I don't understand you, Dave, but I love you. All right, here we go. This is the real interview here. All right, so... How long you worked here? 20 years. How old are you? 38. So you started working here when you were 18 years old. I figured, Actually 16, yeah. but who's counting? It's a longer, right? Unfortunately. That's a long time. And, and you started here doing what? What did you do at Katz when you got here? I was a busboy like everyone else. And now? Now I'm a manager. Yeah, you run this place. That's amazing. Anyway. Unofficially. You saw me at my worst, right? Unfortunately, I did. You saw me come in kind of bright-eyed and then uh, flop like a fish out of water. I actually saw you in the 2nd Avenue train station with a crackhead on a Saturday, fucking pacing back and forth, and I didn't know what to think to myself. What did you think to yourself? It's like, what the fuck is this guy doing with that crazy person? 
I don't think he was a crackhead. I think he was actually my heroin dealer. I think that was Indio. Well, if that's your heroin dealer, he definitely was not selling too much heroin because he seemed like he was using more than he was fucking selling. But Definitely. And that's when that was the beginning of you seeing something was wrong. Yes, because in your earlier stages, I didn't meet you. I didn't know you with your drug habits. So once I saw the tables turn, then I was like, huh, something's wrong. And then when did you see, uh, what was the worst you saw me? Uh, then pretty much that was, I guess that was a binging season for you because that whole fucking next two weeks was just crazy. You're coming here just dropping shit all over. You used to take the customer's food without them even fucking finish eating. <laughs> yes. What about the sound? You used to pour water in a fucking cup and the water's all over the table, but you're still continually pouring? Yes. Great job, Dave. What about the great sour pickle story? That's my favorite oh, one. Oh, sour pickles. Fucking raining sour pickles. And this is a busy Friday. The owner's on Dave's ass because obviously he noticed something's wrong with Dave and Dave just starts dropping sour tomatoes in the back counter as he's serving a plate. But not like three. It was like 64. <laughs> and didn't even notice. Just kept walking. Went straight to the table. Wow. It's amazing. It's amazing to me all that I lost in here, but it's also amazing that I got to uh, get my shit together. So that was Charlie. I don't think I could say enough about what Charlie actually does. He owns a, a juice bar now in the Essex Street Market. He, when the store is at its busiest, Charlie is fucking giving commands. And he's, a, he's a, an amazing leader, and he's an he's a amazing entrepreneur. And I only say it because it's true. You know, the dude is, is serious, serious business. And uh, he has a, a company that does embroidery, and that's where we got all of our hats. And I, I love working with these guys. I love working with Charlie. And this next guy uh, might be the only waiter competition in terms of, like, me trying to keep up with somebody. His name is Marty, and um, he's, he was a force to be reckoned with on the floor. All right. So I'm at Katz's collecting stories. This is my friend Marty. Marty, how long have you been waiting tables at Katz's? About 15 years. Wow, that's a long time, Marty. It's a very long time. Marty was like my, my deep competition in this place. Marty, Marty set a very high bar for waitering, and I tried to, to follow in his footsteps. We were a good one-two combination. Better, better than the Knicks, that's for sure. Um, so what's the craziest thing you ever saw in here? Well, um, searching my memory, there have been many crazy things. I think one of the craziest things that I've encountered is... Uh, the time a young woman walked in here with a turkey on a leash claiming it was a service turkey and it sat right alongside of her as she was eating her pastrami sandwich. Did the turkey eat any pastrami? No, but I kept chasing after it with cranberry sauce. That's not true, though. Just You're like, here, have some mayonnaise for your turkey? <laughs> yeah, you're right, but I certainly felt like I wanted to. But it was a service animal and we were stuck with it. So it really, it, the, the turkey ate with her? Yeah, the turkey sat right next to her on a chair. Yeah, I, I, whenever anybody would bring in a service animal, I was always, like, a pretty annoyed by it. I was always sure that a, a, a service dogs bit people at Katz's. They brought in a lot of weird service pets. I thought it was all bullshit, but, you know, I might be a little bit of a sociopath. Um, we gave away our dog, after all. There are so many other people at Katz's that are incredibly meaningful to me but we can't put everybody in this thing you know 
Lenny, I wanted to get in this thing. Because Lenny, me and Lenny used to sit uh, at Katz's every morning when we started, and I would make him read me the sports section. I would make him read me, like, the Knicks articles, and he would share his Dominican breakfast with me. And then uh, in time, he would, he would literally come to my house every day after work, and we would smoke weed, and, uh, and we would listen to, like, Nas and Biggie Smalls and dancehall music, and we would uh, smoke crazy big joints, and he would clean my bong. And I asked Lenny to come on, and he was like, I don't know, I think I'd need to smoke weed before I came on. And I didn't have time to figure out how to get him high before he came on Dobie. But just know that Lenny uh, and so many other people in the store uh, should be in this thing, but you can't get everybody in it. Cats is an incredibly special place. I'm happy to have been able to bring you a Katz's Dopey special, but I also know that we need to hit you guys with a little Dopey, little Dopey stuff. Little hit him with the Dopey, little Dopey voicemail. And this is a great stoner mushroom tale from Stuart. So here we go. Sup, Dave. Sup, Dopey Nation. Chris, if you can hear this, we all miss you. This is Stu from Salt Lake City, and I've got a mushroom story for y'all. So my friends and I used to love tripping on all sorts of things, mushrooms, LSD, molly, and we would kind of make rituals out of it. Like when we did molly, we would have music playlists and black out all the lights and do crazy glow stick light shows. When we would do mushrooms... We would usually go camping and take them at night in the mountains and walk around with tiki torches. We wouldn't usually make it very far, but it was so trippy. So my one friend named Luke, him and I were getting into mushrooms a little deeper than all the rest. We were taking higher doses and taking them more frequently. So one day my brother said that he wanted to trip with us because I was telling him how beautiful it was. And so Luke and I were like, hell yeah, cool. We'll show you our world. So we went up into the mountains. It was evening. It was the 4th of July, beautiful summer evening. We hiked up to this very high spot where you could look down and see the whole city. And... So we brought a thermos of tea along, very powerful tea, very, very strong mushrooms. I mean, they just schooled all of us so hard. So at the beginning, we were just laughing, and we felt like little kids. That's what I love about mushrooms is it makes you feel like a little kid again. And we were sitting on a carpet on the hill and it just felt like a magic carpet and we were flying and all this it was just nuts it but it was a hard trip and by the end we were like rolling around on the ground just trying to keep it together and hoping that it would end and so um so in the process of all this rolling around on the ground my brother and I both lost our glasses And I was like, oh, no. So I was searching and searching, and I found my glasses finally. And then I was searching for Tyler's glasses. And Luke went and took a piss. 
and he happened to piss right on his glasses. So he found Tyler's glasses. So I went up to Tyler, and I was like, you're going to be so happy. Look, I found your glasses. But he did. He was not in this reality at all at this time. And his eyes were open. He was awake, but he was not seeing you or hearing you. And he would try to talk, but he just sounded like... And just making weird noises like that. So I was panicking and thinking that I was going to have to take him to a mental institution for the rest of his life. And he had permanent drug psychosis. But Luke told me he would probably just piss his pants and then the tea would be out of him and he'd come to. And so we sat with him for a long time. Um, and that's what finally happened. He pissed his pants and then he finally came to. And at first he wasn't quite all there yet. He was joking around and just walking around and, you know, just walking around in dangerous places that he shouldn't, you shouldn't be walking around in unless you have all your senses. And Luke and I were scared he was going to roll his ankle. Later, he told me that at this point he thought he was in the afterlife and that he had died. But he came to more and more. And so we were finally able to walk down. By this time, the sun had come up, and there was morning joggers running up the trail. And Tyler was so embarrassed by his pissed pants that every time a jogger ran by, he would jump behind a bush and hide. So, anyway, that's my dopey story. Love you, Dave. Dopey Nation. Stay strong. Toodles! I love... I love psychedelic dopey stories, but what I like even more is urine-soaked psychedelic dopey stories. So if you guys have a good psychedelic dopey story or just a good dopey story, please send it in to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. But before we go, Ishmael uh, wanted to do a recording, so here is a recording from Ishmael. Hello, Dopey Nation. This is Ishmael. I miss you. I hope you are well. What is this? Martin Luther King Jr. Day or something? Let me get a matzo ball soup, faggot. You are the greatest gay. People in the Dopey Nation think I'm homophobic, but I am not homophobic. I love the Dopey Nation. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. And fucking toodles for Chris. We're not ready to go yet, though. That was Ishmael saying goodbye. I have to say, my time... And I don't want to be overly schmaltzy, but my time at Katz's has been uh, one of the greatest learning experiences of my life. Uh, I would not trade it for... Well, maybe I'd trade it for some money. Maybe I would trade it for a lot of other experiences. But this is the experience that I've had, and, um, and I'm happy to have had it. I will say this, that with all of the hoopla and uh, notoriety that Katz's Deli has... Nobody can scratch the surface on the magic below. And it's been a miracle to be a part of that place. So thank you guys. Stay strong, dope. Send in an email. Let me know what you, if, if you're upset that the Dopey Cats... I have to say this. Let me know if you're upset that the Dopey Cats is special wasn't dopey enough. 
or wasn't cats is enough. I'm a glutton for punishment and criticism. So send in an email. Send in a funny drug story. Do a better Ishmael impression than me. Go to Katz's. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. I want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I 